Hey everybody, welcome to uh, Bible Banter with Luke and Eric, no, excuse me, Bible and Banter, or is it Banter and Bible? We have, have we decided yet? Hey, let, we'll, let, we'll let everyone vote in the comments. Should we be Bible and Banter or Banter and Bible? My vote is actually for uh, Bible and Banter because I think it rolls off the tongue more nicely. I think it just sounds better, but I could be persuaded otherwise. Or and bible banter no the end has to go in the middle we can't just move it around willy-nilly okay so we didn't uh we didn't put up any sort of a poll so if you are watching put down in the comment section what our new name should be from bible banter to bible and banter or banter and bible which one hmm. which one should go first hmm. actually you know what we should do we should make that an exclusive for everyone who joins the banter club Oh. oh look at that man no so uh so if you join the, so forget about commenting uh about about what you desire join the banter club we got four members as it stands right now we're going to open it up to all members of the banter club and leave it open for what what do you say like th- a week we'll leave it open for a week and uh and luke won't even be here to to disagree so we'll just have some open-ended so if you want to completely change the name of the show maybe we'll do that Luke will come back and it'll just be the Eric Reynolds show. I don't know. <laughs> I, I know I know you reneged on your uh, uh, offer to the comment section, but they are chiming in and it's pretty unanimous so far. Okay. Well, tough Twinkies. If they want their vote to count, they need to register to vote. And how do you register to vote, Luke? <laughs> you join the banter club on Patreon. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so you can go ahead and go up on Patreon for patreon.com forward slash bible banter and we're not going to change the name of our patreon that's just that'd be too much work i think okay all right yeah, that's too much work fair enough um so luke we are uh, you, this is your last show for three weeks right yes sir yeah i'll, I'll the, the next time you guys see me it will be the month of august which i won't be available the first week in august i'm going up to massachusetts to um take care of my mother's affairs well you're doing at least three shows without me i think i'm allowed to do one without you okay that's fair um this is not marxist alex we're just telling you that if you if you want to uh uh if you want to to vote you have to register right like this isn't mail in ballots here okay wait, wait, what do you mean this is marxist these are voluntary exchanges of goods services and money <laughs> this is capitalism 101 this is the exact opposite <laughs> marxism would be for me to say in order to level the playing field you're all in the banter club and you will boom. all receive no benefits boom but because we love all of our viewers and listeners but we love our viewers and listeners that are part of the banter club more we are allowing them to choose the name of should, the should, should this should this actually be considered cor- corporatism not proper capitalism but corporatism since we've now involved a corporation i don't care <laughs> this I don't care. Um, so, Luke, you're going to be gone for the next three weeks because your church is very generous in giving you three weeks vacation. Um, so tell me, what are your plans for these three weeks? So uh, not that it matters, but it's technically I get two and a half weeks. So Three weeks. Like, we I'm, round up. We round up. We round up. Okay. <laughs> but you get, said 12 days, right? It's one day per month? Yeah, yeah. So so I get one, I get one day paid time off per month. I work five days a week, right? So uh, we haven't, I haven't taken paid time off in a year. Um, 
Well, actually, I haven't taken that paid time off a year. My church was also very generous and gave me two weeks paternal leave, completely separate from that. Wow. So yeah, they're, they're uh, they rock. They're the very, best. Pro- very progressive. Love my church. Um, but but so then, since I worked five days a week, um, twelve days over the in terms of work days, it comes out to about two and a half weeks. So I will be back in town at the end of. July. Uh, I just don't want to roll in and then be doing a podcast after a long day of traveling with three young children. I don't think that that would go well. That sounds weak, Luke. That sounds really, really weak. So what are your plans? What are you doing for those three? Yeah, yeah. We we haven't seen uh, my wife's family in over a year. So we are going to be going up to Illinois. Uh, her parents live on a farm right on the border of Iowa, and we will be up there hanging out with her big old clan of a family. She's got four brothers and sisters, and they all have children. So we are we are we are making sure that uh, we've made sure that everyone is healthy, uh, that there's not, they've not been exposed, and then there's going to be some uh, some family shenanigans going on. That. Uh... Okay, so you're just going to so you're going up there for three weeks for two and a half weeks. No, well, we're we're only we're actually going to be there for less than two weeks because of the travel time. Uh, How long of travel is it to Illinois? So it's 13 hours, but we're not we're trying not to do that in one day. It, it, that would Super have been no, that would have been no problem when when we were we had maybe one kid or definitely when we were just young and married. But with the three little ones, you have to stop a lot. A 13 hour drive is not a 13 hour drive not if you put diapers on them and just change them as you're going just keep going man is this pay time off including a regular weekly day off yes mike uh i i, I do a, a regular weekly day off oh man so this is gonna make you real mad mike i get two days off a week i work i, I work five days unless i get a call obviously in, in this line of work you can get a call any day and have to go do the thing yes thank you mark ohio's a long state dude i just I really know very little about like anything other than the coasts regarding like geography. <laughs> I'm a terrible American, I guess. You, like, you've not gone west. Uh, so I've gone to Arizona. That's as far. Oh, I went to Las Vegas last year. But I know. Did you go no, no, there? I, I flew. I flew. Oh, go west, young man. Uh, <laughs> well, is Illinois, Illinois central? Yeah, but I mean, it's a thousand but miles. I really, when you just said that it's like close to Iowa, like on the yeah. border of Iowa, I didn't even know that they bordered each other. Oh, Eric. <laughs> like, I am, there are many things I know a lot about, but this is not one of them. Well, hold on, hold on. Now, now I really want to know what Mike's situation is. Cause I thought this was normal that you would, that you, that unless something happens, you work five days a week and you get two weeks vacation. I mean, that's how most jobs work. What, what kind of, what kind of indentured servitude are you in, Mike? Uh, I would say I, in talking with other pastors, I think most only get one day off. Yeah. Your church is good to you. I mean, I, I, I try to take two days off a week. Um, I mean, well, I, I, often I flex that sometimes, you know, cause I, I often do end up working on Fridays. Yeah, no, look, it's it's not it's not like on my day off if someone calls me and says my grandma died, I go, "Sorry, I'll call you tomorrow." Like there's obviously times when I work on those days. But um yeah, I I guess I mean most most jobs get a two-day weekend. We work on Sundays, so I I most weeks when I can, I I take two days off. 
Yeah, I I would I echo what Mike says. I take he says I take get one actual day off and use one day as kind of an on call or a flex day. That's kind yeah. of what my Fridays usually are or my Saturdays. Like I kind of sometimes I work both days but work like a half day because I just uh you know get to something and I just can't can't get to it so I just wait to to the next day. So, so I think I think a lot of pastors intend for it to be that way, but from what I've seen, their flex day just ends up being a work day. Uh, I think that's just part of it's part of the call, man. It's part of the I call. Don't know. It's, I, it's I why all maybe, the great it's why all the great pastors died at like age fifty or sixty. <laughs> you know, back in the day. I think maybe some of you guys just need to work more efficiently. That's what it is, Luke. <laughs> you you've you've cracked the code. You are the most efficient. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to Iowa slash Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, are, is there anything interesting? Because that sounds like the most dullest place possible. I love the people there. Um, it is a very boring place. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the house the house is literally surrounded by cornfields. Just... So, have you seen the movie Children of the Corn? No, and I, I and I will not. I'm not going to do that to myself. No, thank oh, you. Well, okay. Truth, I am not official with my time. Mike, <laughs> Mike, I didn't. I didn't mean for that to sound as condescending as it did. <laughs> yes, you did. Don't lie. Um, it wasn't. So, no, it wasn't meant to be condescending. It, it really was a remark on. Look, I. I feel like in mo in most work. That's just. Oh goodness, Mike's on a roll today. I feel like in most work, you tend to sort of work with the time you have. And so it's like, if I give myself 20 hours to do something, I'm going to take all 20 hours and it'll probably be higher quality than if I take 10. But if I say I only have 10 to do it, I do it in 10 hours. In some ways, it seems to me like when it comes to especially the art of sermon writing, if the standard is I'm going to work on it until I'm done, I don't know if I'll ever go home. So at some point it becomes the, at least to me, it becomes the discipline of saying, I have this amount of time to do these things. Uh, and of course that, that might change as uh, this, this line of work is full of crisis. So things happen, you have to adjust. I do, I do quite a bit of work from home and, you know, in the evenings at times that, that aren't technically work time. Uh, but I, I try to set for myself limits in terms of, okay, I have this amount of time to get this work done. And when that time's up, the work better be done. Mm. So once five o'clock hits, Luke is gone. In this line of work, if you get, you get a call sometimes. So it's, it's not like mm. I go, sorry, office hours are over. I'm not going to come, you know, help your grieving family. But I do, I do feel like if it's not the, the crisis stuff, then I try to be pretty rigid about I have X amount of time to get that stuff done. Yeah. 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 I'm probably the exact opposite. <laughs> I, I look at tasks and I, and I work on the tasks no matter how long it takes me to get. And if that means, um, if that means I leave the office, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon and get home and then like do reading that I, that I didn't get done during the day, then I do it at home. And maybe yeah. I do it like around the kids as they're watching something on TV and sure, I yeah. try to be present with them and still enjoy their company and, uh, or, or go out front and smoke a cigar with Robin and yeah, um, yeah. sit there and do some reading and stop when she wants to talk. And, you know, sometimes that can be a challenge, but, uh, you know, um, but, but, it, but there's, there is some similarity there, similarity there in that it's not like 
on my day off, I don't, for example, think about my message at all. I like that, that, that there's still things I might do that day. What I don't do is go into the office six days a week. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but, you know, different spokes for different folks. No, Tammy Robin does not smoke cigars. She does not. Uh, which is good. Eric, Eric wouldn't like to share. I (laughs) know they're too expensive. (laughs) Um, but you know, this kind of does go into our main point of today. Um, and, and really what we're talking, we're, we're getting together. We teased it last week or not last week, last Tuesday on our last show. Um, and we're talking about depression. And one of the things that I think can actually, um, you know, I mentioned how a lot of pastors, at least the ones I talked to, many of them at least have signs or have bouts with depression throughout their ministry for all, all sorts of reasons. Mm-hmm. And um, so, which is why I think it's important for us to talk about, because sometimes I at least um, remember there was a time in my Christian walk that I really thought that if you did, if you were depressed, like there was something wrong with your faith, like there, there was something deficient in your faith or in you. Um, that caused you to feel this way. And the more I grew in the word, the more I grew in my own walk and, and read, and, I'm, and trust me, there are people far older than us and who have been in the faith far longer who also believe that. Um, Cause I've talked to them, but if you look historically within the Christian faith and as recently, one of the greatest um, people that I, I'm going to bring up today uh, to demonstrate depression is Charles Spurgeon. You know, the Prince of Preachers, one of the most influential um, uh, pastors and theologians in the last uh, 100, 120 years. So uh, he was someone who struggled with depression his entire life. I even mentioned to someone today as I was reading up on him that one of his, some of his biographers consider that he might have been bipolar, mm. uh, a mild form of bipolar. So uh, mental health issues are real, and especially in the midst of, of this pandemic or whatever you want to call it, there's a lot of self-isolation, and it's it's exacerbating issues. It's exacerbating our mental health issues. Yeah, and you mentioned mental health, uh, a very real struggle for Christians. I was stunned the first time that I saw the numbers on its prevalence amongst pastors. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was reading what Mike said. <laughs> you say, wait, you know Charles Spurgeon? You almost never bring him up. Thanks, Mike, for the for the sarcasm. Yeah, Spurgeon and Calvin, the two that we never talk about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what were you saying as I was? I, really, yeah, you know, know, you picked the perfect time to grin because what I just said was not only is uh, mental illness prevalent amongst Christians, I was stunned the first time I saw the numbers about how prevalent it is amongst pastors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I've shared here, I've shared in my own church that it's something that I've struggled with for pretty much my whole and entire adult life. So um, why don't we start off by, by defining depression? Mm-hmm. So I pulled up here, I don't know if you pulled up any definitions, but I pulled up one from psychiatry.org. I believe this is a definition from the DSM, which the DSM is what they use to um, identify and define terms within psychology. So um, what is depression? Depression or major depressive disorder is a common and serious medical illness that negatively affects how you feel, the way you think, and how you act. Fortunately, it is also treatable. 
Depression causes feelings of sadness and or a loss of interest in activities once enjoyed. It can lead to a variety of emotional and physical problems and can decrease a person's ability to function at work and at home. Depression. You want to hear the symptoms? Yeah. All right. All right. We're going to, we're going to doc MD it. Uh, or what, what is it? The, did you Google, did you Google it? No, no. This is still on psychiatry. Don't, don't Google depression. They'll tell you you have cancer. Oh my goodness. So depression symptoms can vary from mild to severe and can include feeling sad or having a depressed mood, which I learned in grade school. Like you can't, when defining something, you can't uh, use the term in defining it. So I don't really, you know, anyway, uh, loss of interest or pleasure in activities once enjoyed changes in appetite, weight loss, or gain unrelated to dieting, trouble sleeping or sleeping too much, loss of energy or increased fatigue, increase in purposeless physical activity, ergo hand wringing or pacing or slow movements in speech, uh, actions observable by others, feeling worthless or guilty, difficulty thinking, concentrating or making decisions, thoughts of death or suicide. So it sounds uh, mildly serious, Luke mildly serious mildly serious <laughs> i didn't i didn't know those two words could be <laughs> uh mark just said something fascinating i don't know if i buy it but it has at least piqued my interest i've never heard that suggestion that paul that the thorn in the flesh i've heard all sorts of theories about the thorn in the flesh but that's a new one yeah i have not heard that either but mark is also a doctor so so I'm, we should have had mark on the show he's yeah. a doctor so I, I think one of the things that comes to my mind as we discuss uh, depression is in trying to bring some biblical perspective. Let me sort of list off some of the people that we clearly see exhibiting some of the symptoms that you just read. Moses, Joshua, Paul, Peter. Are you pausing for effect? I'm not quite sure. Yes. Oh, okay. I didn't know if like you were scrolling through a list. David. Solomon, Samson, shall I go on? Because I could. And I mean, it really, it really is. Are you, just like, are you just like thinking like, man, what's the next biblical character I can come up with? No, no, no. no. I, I, I was supposed to go in order. I had them in my head and then I got all mixed up. Okay. Uh, no, I, I thought about this before I started saying it. Okay. I don't always do that, but in this case I did. <laughs> no, it really is, especially when I read the Psalms and the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, I, I, I can't help but to see those symptoms there in the lives of David and Solomon, but also many other biblical characters, including, including Paul. Well, surprisingly, as I was looking this up, right? So as I was looking at psychiatry.org, um, which I'm assuming, I don't know how trustworthy it is. Maybe I should have looked into this more. But again, I'm just continuing with our precedent of not really preparing all that much for our shows. So they say that depression affects an estimated one in 15 adults or 6.7% in any given year. And one in six people or 16.6% will experience depression at some time in their life. Mm -hmm. Now, I think it was much higher than that. Now, Mike raises a fair point here, right? There is a difference between, I used to enjoy the smell of the company. <laughs> She's referring uh, to the cigars, by the way. 
Oh, yeah, no, my, not my depression. I forget, <laughs> I, forget, I forget sometimes that there are people who listen to the show and don't watch it and don't see the comments. So I should, I should mention when I, when I comment on something. The uh, Mike raises a fair point that there's a difference between diagnosed clinical depression and the sort of depression that you might use to characterize just a low point in life. So mm-hmm. I, I guess there is a fair question here, Eric, of which one are we talking about today? So I think we can talk about both. Um, so, and I, and I'm assuming that that's probably, and again, it's an assumption on my part that maybe that's what psychiatry.org is talking about in his definition in, in looking at, Hey, 16.6% of people in their life will have or struggle with depression. I'm assuming mm-hmm. um, that they're not just saying like a season of depression. In fact, if you look up, um, cause I was looking at some Christian perspectives of depression, and one of which pointed out the difference in between just having grief and being in, in a temporary state of depression, one that isn't cyclical, right? So when we talk about, I guess when I talk about depression, Luke, I'm talking and how I've struggled with it my entire life is it comes in cycles. Yep. And, and what I've learned is that it seems like it might come on for no good reason. Like there's no trigger. And I hate that word because like it's it's been co-opted to just to for liberal agendas and, and mm-hmm. all that but like there can be things that that cause that cause you to get into that state and it could be self-inflicted or it could be um thrust upon you but yeah. there's other times where you look around and you go how did i get in this place like how how, how am i feeling this way mm-hmm. and i mentioned on tuesday you know guys like like robin uh williams i mean his public persona was such that you never would have thought that he was depressed most pastors, um, I mean, they're they're almost going to be like Nehemiah in in Nehemiah one and two, right? He goes before the king, and he in 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 between the time of the crisis that's brought to him by by his kinsmen and the time that he approaches the king to address the need in in Jerusalem, there's a four month gap. So in that four months there's a sense that he is mulling this over. He's praying and maybe, maybe there's a sense of despair there. And he even says that he's mourning and mourning often leads to some sort of depression. So in the midst of that, he's putting on the happy face for the King and sees the cupbearer. And then comes a night in which the King notices a change in his mood. Now, now that could have been possible or, or um, intentional or not. I don't think we can know. So I think for pastors, many of us can put on that happy face. I know I do it. And when someone asks, hey, how are you doing? You give the the standard line because you don't want people to know how you're doing. Yeah, yeah. And I actually, I'll tell you, this is a very recent um, way in which the Lord has uh, uh, brought me along in spiritual growth, where I have stopped lying when people ask that question. I don't always give, you know, the most thorough answer. But if um, if I'm not doing well, I don't say that I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And, and that and that was something I would say I said for years. Yeah, I don't know if I'm there yet. Like, it probably depends on the person because um, it, it is difficult as a pastor because literally everybody wants you to be like their rock in a sense. Like, yes, of course, Christ is the rock. Christ is the object of all affection. And we want that, right? Like you don't want to be anybody's rock. <laughs> you just, you want to be like the, the spiritual medic, the EMS coming in and applying the balm of salvation to them so that they can understand the grace that has been given to them or the mercy that's been given to them by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. That's our role, right? We're the, we're the spiritual aid workers, but, um, and, and that, 
is tolling that's taxing but oftentimes people still rely on us rather than on christ because we're right there we're we're tangible uh, we're physically tangible right there in the moment yeah and and we sense that and and sometimes we like that mm-hmm. and because we like that we feel like we have to be that rock to everyone um, whether yep. it's whether it's uh, the people in our church, whether it's our friends or our family, our spouses or our kids, we we feel like we have to fill that role. And that can be incredibly challenging. But we're not the only profession. Right. We're not the only ones that have to have to deal with that. Yeah, well, it is interesting. Your comments about how our role as spiritual aid workers, I think one thing I've observed is and in some ways, I think this is the human condition. You know, you see the splinter in your brother's eye before you see the log in your own. But I think especially when it comes to working in ministry, it's so much easier to um, see and try to address everyone else's problems and burdens uh, and to ignore your own. So I, I don't I can't speak for you, Eric, but I know for me, I, I don't think I've struggled so much with depression in any clinical sense. But I do think oftentimes and it, and it doesn't help that I'm surrounded by very discerning people like my wife. I think a lot of times I'm the last one to the party when it comes to realizing I'm in a bad place. It's That's up. a good point because Robin often often notices in me like, ooh, something feels off, mm-hmm. right? And like the challenge is like, ooh, something feels off about you. What's wrong? And like mm-hmm. in that moment, it's like nothing's wrong. Get off my case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like that, that's my reaction. Um, and it's probably like to her, it's like, man, I'm just trying to help. But mm-hmm. when we're in that type of state, we don't realize – how we're coming across. We don't even realize that we're in it sometimes. And like, I was, when I was reading more about Spurgeon today and I need to pick up a good biography. So if you guys have a, if you have a biography that you recommend on Charles Spurgeon, I'd love for you to put, cause I haven't read one. I've only read articles. Uh, But this one article that I read today, man, like he would, he would have times in which he would have massive production like just killing it, man, just producing things left and right. And when you look at the, the breadth of his work, you can, you can see that. But then there were mm-hmm. also times in which he did nothing. <laughs> like he legit, he was so depressed. He, he could hardly get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, yeah. So that, that to me, you, I never had heard that about him. Mm-hmm. So I look at that and go, man, I, I do have those times. Like sometimes, um, and even in the last couple of months, like since I lost my mom, like, I have avoided people and, and COVID has made it really easy for me to avoid people, <laughs> which is probably not good. Right. So like, I think when, when I want to avoid people is the time that I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And um, COVID has made it really easy for me to avoid the, and really the reason I avoid people is why, because I don't want them to ask me how I'm doing with the loss of my mom. I don't want to talk about it, which is probably another unhealthy thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. You know, things happen in life. And, and when you when you're someone who has struggled with with depression your entire life and then you look in a situation like this, like everybody loses a parent at some point in their lifetime. So it's not something that like you go, you know, what I'm going through now is normal. So it's mm-hmm. like, is this my depression? Is this grief? Is that I don't know what to call it. And often when we don't know what to call it. Yeah, it's even more perplexing. So, so in a minute, I want to read Mark's comment because I think it's he, there's so much packed in there for us to talk about. But I want to mention something first that you just brought up, Eric, which is um, there is within many people, not just church people, but certainly within the church, 
and especially men in the church, um, an aversion to strong negative feelings. Mm-hmm. That when I read the Psalms, they are so full, not just of depression, but of anger, despair, all just the most ugly, negative sorts of human emotions. And they are part of the worship songbook that God gives us, his people. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, you know, to your point of not wanting to sort of have to face those negative feelings with others, I think too, sometimes we don't ask and the same way that you don't want to be asked. I think sometimes we don't ask because we're afraid or, or at the very least we are uncomfortable with what might be a very real and ugly conversation. Mm-hmm. That, that we that we need to have. Um, I want to read Mark's comment though. In some church cultures, pastors are supposed to be infallible and bulletproof. I've lost my temper twice publicly in church. The first time I was told I was immature. The second time that I was crazy and needed counseling. I'm now very guarded with my thoughts and emotions. Mark, you know, I just want to express to you how I'm sorry that, you know, that those things were expressed to you because often when, when we do lash out in public like that, it's often because we're coming from a posture of depression and instead of people recognizing it, um, I've often learned that Christians can be the, the harshest of critics, even though they should be the most charitable, um, and that's tough, man. I mean, that's, that's really, that maybe that's why we need to have more conversations about depression mm-hmm. uh, because it is a real thing. And, and there are people out there that will reject it. Like I don't take any medication for it. I was diagnosed with, with depression when I was in the army. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I was, you know, and, and there are different ways to treat depression from a clinical perspective. But one of the things that I've learned through the midst of this and in my reading of some of Spurgeon and some of what other people have brought out in Spurgeon is that depressions, I hate saying this, but it's true. Depression is a gift. Um, depression reminds us of our fallibility. It reminds us of our fallen nature and its greatest gift to us in, <clears throat> in depression is that it drives us to the cross of Jesus because he is first. I want to read this to you real quick. Um, I actually was reminded of this. This is actually going to be the next book we go into after we finish the gospel of John. We're going to go into the letters of John at at our church. But I was reminded of this text in reading Dane Ortland's recent book. Uh, I forget the name of it, but it's a tremendous work. I encourage anybody to go read it. And he, he pointed this out in this text in, in 1 John 2, verse 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, the interesting thing here is that this term advocate um, is used, <clears throat> I believe, two or three other times, as, as Ortland points out. And it's in all of the other times outside of this, it's used for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And 
I think Ortland points this out well in that he says, not only is Christ our high priest who prays before us, but he's also our advocate who comes after us. Mm-hmm. And when I hear that, I, I think visually of Jesus after I'm, he's praying before my depressive state. He, I'm still uh, endowed with the Holy Spirit in the midst of my depressive state. And he's coming up after me, pushing me closer to himself in the midst of my depression. So, mm-hmm. hit, so this um, adversity, this pain that I'm feeling in this moment is bringing me closer to the cross of Christ in a peculiar way that like nothing else in life will. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe uh, Spurgeon had the same feeling about it. Well, well, Paul did. Paul felt that way about it. I mean, what does he say in uh, one of his letters to the Corinthians? I can't remember if it's first or second Corinthians nine, where he says, um, I think it's second Corinthians nine. Or rather the Lord says to Paul, uh, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness that uh, we certainly, when we say things like depression or anxiety or things are a gift, we're not saying that when you feel those things, you should be uh, uh, pleased about it. What we're saying is that the Lord uses those things for his purposes. Like it's part of what makes him such an amazing God is he takes the awful, ugly, nasty stuff that we really would rather do without. And um, ultimately, when we look back on those things, we'll see the good and glory in them. And I want to, I want to um, quote your second book, which will not be coming out for a while, but as I was editing it, there was a line in there that, that really stuck with me. Like, I, 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 I've always heard this phrase. Okay. God, God's working all things for our good and his glory, right? Our good and his glory. But the way you phrased it, you said God's working all things for his glory, which is our good that God's glory actually is our good. So it's not that God's balancing these two things like, okay, his glory, your good. No, the glory of God accomplished is actually our good. So the one in the same. And, yeah. and, and the, know, thing, you, the you, thing is, the one who defines the good isn't Eric Reynolds and it's not mm-hmm. Luke Copeland, it's God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, I appreciate you bringing that up because I even forgot that I wrote that. And sometimes, sometimes you when you pointed that out, when you're editing my book, um, which by the way, I can't express to you how, how grateful I am for the work that you put into it um, among a couple of other people. Um, but I mean, really when I, I really view the Christian life as one in which we are, we are giving up more of our life to Christ. So he's already mm-hmm. laid claim to it. So God's already laid claim to our life, our lives by by rescuing us through the work of Jesus, right? By redeeming us through the work of Jesus. And, and as such, we are now living a life that is slowly and surely giving away more of our life to something that God has already laid claim to. And as such, we now define good differently. And the good in our life is defined by God's glory. And what is his glory? It's his manifest presence. It's his name being proclaimed. It's people coming into the kingdom. It's him being the greatest treasure in his people's hearts. Mm-hmm. I think there's another thing we need to say here, though, um, not to contradict anything we've just said, but to balance it, where certainly God uh, uses all these things. With that said, um, I think 
we should not be afraid to express our frustration, disappointment, and displeasure with those things to God. Oh, he loves it. He wants to hear those things. Mm-hmm. He he wants he wants to hear you, Luke. Tell him how displeased you are with with your current lot in life, what you're going through. He wants to hear your emotion. Mm-hmm. You and I were talking about this a lot. I think it was last week, and or no, on Tuesday after the show, and we said, you know, some people might think of you and I, or maybe we think of ourselves as being very factual. Mm-hmm. As, as being very straightforward in things and setting aside our emotions. But really, you and I are very emotional people. Mm-hmm. And God wants to hear our emotions. He mm-hmm. wants, to, he, and not, it's not that he doesn't know what we're going through, but it helps us in learning how to communicate with God. It yeah. helps us because we are articulating what our emotions are and we are showing our reliance upon the sovereignty of God. In, in dealing with those things. Hmm. And there is, I think here we have to mention, I just, I can't help it. It, it bleeds into everything. We have to mention the incarnation because mm-hmm. one of the things that we see in the life of Jesus is the very real experience of very real, negative, ugly human emotion. Um, he gets very angry in the temple. He gets very anxious and fearful in the garden of Gethsemane. He weeps over his friend Lazarus, despite the fact that he's about to raise him from the dead. Uh, that I, th- I think it's important that we say the things, Eric, that you do such a great job of saying about the sovereignty of God and the the good, the glorious good accomplished in all things. But that doesn't mean putting on a face every time you're around church people. And it's that- hard not to put that face on because of exactly what Mark just said. You know, because people are going to, because people will criticize you. Um, and, but, and and the hardest time to, to, to receive criticism is when you're in the depressive state, because it's like, you think I'm a terrible person. I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> you know, like, in the middle of that. yeah, you're right. But, but I think this is where, and I'm, I'm not saying this is easy or that I've always succeeded in this, but I think this is where we do need to take responsibility as pastors to be the spiritual leaders of our church that I, I'm not saying that we, we should ever use the pulpit as, you know, uh, a, our personal counseling session. Cause I've seen guys do that where they get up and they basically just like sit down on the couch and treat the congregation as their shrink. That's why you, but, start, that's why you start your own podcast. But, <laughs> but I do think we need, we have to be the ones to lead the way when it comes to vulnerability. Why, why would the people of your church share those deepest, darkest, worst parts of their lives with someone who won't share with them? And that I'll tell you, that's one of the things that I've actually learned in, in counseling. Um, not, not that when I sit down, I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be an equal exchange. No, I'm there, I'm there to serve that person. But oftentimes, one of the things that I'm able to do that is, is frowned upon in a lot of formal counseling is to actually share here and there little bits of my own painful experience that I find will then open up gateways for the other person to share because they they feel like I've now made an investment and taken a risk mm-hmm. that suddenly there's safety there that wasn't there before when I was just the objective uh, shrink. 
Yeah, and that's hard because you don't want to like come across as narcissistic and make everything right. about you either. Right. Carolyn makes up a or takes up a good point. She says, I really hate simplistic ideas like more sunshine will cure depression that minimizes the complexity of what depression is. She is a hundred percent right. Um there are things, you know, like can can sunshine help? It can be a factor. Um, you know, doctors suggest that. In fact, uh, Spurgeon. Uh, let me pull up a few things. Uh, eleven reasons. Oh wait, this was eleven. I got a couple articles. Um, so one of the things that Spurgeon would do, uh, he said in lectures to my students, one twenty-eight. In the long run, we will do more by sometimes doing less. And in fact, this is done in a paragraph in which the author is um, sharing that Spurgeon uh, to help with his depression would take long walks. He would take long walks to suck in the oxygen in, in fresh air. Um, there are other things that he did as well. There are things that can be helpful, but oftentimes taking a walk can even seem, you know, um, very difficult. There are many things. Sometimes, sometimes you will need um, medication. Sometimes you'll need, um, and oftentimes, uh, if you look at psychology.org or whatever they said, you know, a lot of people will have to use medication. A lot of people will have to go to psychotherapy or, or CBT, um, uh, behavioral therapy. Um, and, and all those things can be good gifts from God. They can be when done, when done rightly. Yeah. Um, but first and foremost, the thing that we don't want to do is to is to look at depression and say that it's a problem that's inherently in us, but look at it as something that it's a way that God has made us so that he would draw us closer to him. Well, I see. I don't I don't know if I can quite get on board that train, though. I mean, I, 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 to some degree, shouldn't we acknowledge not to say that God doesn't use it that way, but mm. shouldn't we acknowledge it as a result of the fallen nature? in in the new heavens and the new earth and no there won't be there i mean there won't and and i'm with you i don't disagree i don't think my statement negates yours in that it is part of the the fallen nature mm-hmm. um but it's something we don't want so i'm saying let's not solely rely on right so use the use the medications that you need use the therapy that you need but don't forget to see that God is using depression um, to, to help you see how good he is and to draw you close. He, he desires for you to rely on him. So right. if all you do is take the medication, if all you do is go to behavioral therapy, you're missing the boat. Yeah. Um, it well, might cure things temporarily in the, in, in the object is not, or the mission is not to be cured of depression. The object is to see that depression used to the glory of God. No matter the situation, the blind man who everybody came up to Jesus and said, well, who, what, why was this man born blind? Did he sin in his mother's womb? Which is something that they believed in the first century. Mm-hmm. That, you, that if you were born with some sort of infirmity, that either your parents sinned or you sinned while you were still in the womb. And, and it sounds absurd to us today, but Jesus said, no, no one sinned for this man to be born blind. He was mm-hmm. born blind for what reason, Luke? Yeah, so that uh, I think that I think the phrase is so that um, so that you might see. I don't, I can't come up with the exact words. It was so he was born blind so that Jesus could heal him. Yes, yeah. for the glory of God. Yes, like yeah. like so that sounds absurd to many people who are non Christians, and it sounds absurd to those who are Christians. But understand that the infirmities that we have in life 
um, are often given to us for the purpose of God to be glorified. Mm-hmm. And God, mm-hmm. God is glorified when we, when we trust in him, when he is the object of all of our affections and we can find that joy in him. And when we talk to him and communicate with him, like it shows our reliance on him when we do pray to him and say, God, I can't imagine being in the state for another hour, never mind another day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it makes me think of um, some of the, some of the places in scripture where we see, for example, Jonah saying, just let me die here. Yeah. Or, or Elijah crawling into the cave and going, yeah. this is it. And, I'm done. <laughs> and these and these are these are prophets of God, you know? These are these are supposed to be the like the the superstars of the faith. Yeah. And they they ended up in places like that. I think there's another thing here that should be mentioned, and I don't I don't want to say this to discourage people from getting professional help, pursuing counseling, taking medication if necessary. However, I I do have I think some I, w- I would say a word of caution against any sweeping modern trend of whether it's psychology or medicine or any secular field where uh, if if the the way to deal with your depression is through professional help uh, and medicine, thank God for that. Thank God for medicine, for the doctors, for all of it. I think, though, if you can find other ways to cope with these things without having to resort to that. Um, that's a good thing too. So in the same way that, that there's not some simplistic idea that, uh, okay, sunshine will cure depression. I also don't think you can say medicine will cure depression. Or, I also said sunshine would cure coronavirus. Or, so. or, <laughs> or, 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 um, or counseling would cure depression, right? I, I, I think in in viewing sort of these these sorts of crippling and i'm we're not i think at this point we're not just talking about a low season we're talking about something that's really diagnosable these kinds of crippling conditions i I think it is really important that while we're not afraid or or averse to the help that the secular world can offer that we view those things through the lens of scripture um and I know there are, there are passages which, you know, you might think of them as cliche, but they're there. Things like laughter is good medicine. Um, Paul saying that, that um, physical exercises of some value, that I think there are some practical steps, even something as simple as diet. We see, um, obviously, there's, this wasn't the point of it, but we see in the life of Daniel an instance where you actually see a difference because of the types of foods people are eating. But that there are some really practical physical. So would you call that the Daniel plan, Rick Warren? I, I'm not. I'm not promoting the Daniel plan. That was not the point of that passage. But 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 I am saying I am saying that uh, maybe that wasn't the best example. But we can find examples of places and uh, places in Scripture where there are um, like very real, simple. I, I I just I feel like God is the God of medicine and of sunshine and of good counsel, and of healthy bodies. You know, it, it's it's a, a holistic approach, I think, is a biblical approach, as, as opposed to one where you, whether it's, whether you're the, in the, in the medication camp, or you're in the anti-medication camp, you know, just sort of putting your lot in with any particular fad of, of treatment, uh, I, I would caution against that, which is, which is why, uh, I think sometimes this issue is 
not properly vetted in our understanding and conversation because people will give their nice simplistic answer that either you go to this doctor or you just need to eat differently or you or you what about your sleep cycle it turns out that human beings are are being made in the image of god are quite complex and so there's a whole number of things going on and uh we we should be we should be more eager to hear the counsel of the word of god than to find a nice simplistic answer that we think is going to make our problems go away. Yeah. This is one of those things that is, that is far from simple. That's for mm. sure. Yeah. You see, it could be that I, that's an interesting remark from Brian, the idea that, um, so I'll, I'm going to share, actually, I don't think I've ever, sh I've shared this story yet. Um, story time heard, let, let me, let me ask you this and you don't, you don't have to go into detail. Um, did you did you experience anything while you were in the military that actually, or, or maybe it even could have been childhood? So you don't have to tell me what what produced it. Do you have any history of PTSD? Yes. Okay, okay. So a few months ago, there was a young man who uh, came to my office, and I counseled him for a few months, and. Um, I had never, I like, I'd never done anything like this before. I felt completely, and probably was completely ill-equipped for the task. Um, but he, he had come to me and he was willing to talk to me. So I felt like I, I need, I, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I can. And it, it was, it was fascinating. Um, about a week before he walked into my office, I had an experience that I had never had before. And it's it's incredibly difficult to describe, um, but I, I what I came to realize as I was as I was counseling this young man was that I had experienced only for about a week post PTSD, and I'm not even entirely sure what it was from. Mm -hmm. But 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 I don't have but hearing him describe what he was experiencing every day, I was like, oh my gosh, I that's how I felt for a week, and you feel that way every day for like years. Um, and I don't know, again, I don't know why I had that experience, if it was because of something that had happened before, or if God had just decided like, hey, you're going to need this and just handed me a week of post-traumatic stress disorder. But I will tell you, my ability to understand that young man was almost completely the result of that week of, of misery. Um, and to Brian's point, we never know the purposes God has for these things, these horrible experiences that we wish would just go away and should ask God to take away. Um, that was an instance where that was one of the most difficult weeks of my life. And then about, you know, a month later, I was like, oh, that's why that happened. It was the strangest thing, man. Cool. Yeah, man. Uh, depression is no fun. Um, well, I, I think I think one of the things that we find in talking about this is just how many people this affects. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I want to point out, here's 11 things. This is an article that I pulled up. It's on Spurgeon.org. And uh, here are a few reasons distilled by the uh, Spurgeon's own writings that the author of this article picked up on, on why Spurgeon fell into depression. So this is, the author looking at the breadth of, of Spurgeon's writings and seeing what he had to say and identifying 11 things that, that spurred on or caused or triggered his depression. So you want to hear him? Uh, yeah. Chemical 
chemical imbalance. He quotes, the mind can descend far lower than the body for there are bottomless pits. Hmm. He said some are touched with melancholy from their birth because that's often what they called depression. Illness was another reason. Mm -hmm. He says, I have been very ill for more than five weeks. And during that time, I have been brought into deep waters of mental depression. Trauma. He says, there are dungeons beneath the castle of despair as dreary as the abodes of the lost. And some of us have been in them in the context of the Surrey Garden Music Hall disaster of 1856. Loneliness is the fourth one. This loneliness, which if I mistake, not is felt by many of my brethren, is a fertile source of depression. Fifth, increased mental exertion, which I'm sure in um, our talks earlier, Luke, you don't, uh, you don't have this problem, increased <laughs> mental exertion. He says all mental work tends to weary and to depress. Now understand, this quote is coming from the man that in his lifetime produced more than any of us combined will write. He says all mental work tends to weary and to depress for much study is a weariness of the flesh. So, so I can remember uh, th this was a rare moment for him because J Mac is not, you know, very, very big on feelings. But um, John, you don't say John MacArthur. I can re I can remember one time him sharing about how burdensome it is some some uh, uh, weeks when he gets back into the office, you know, at the beginning of the week to realize I have to do this again, and that's not the kind of thing that he would normally share. But I remember it really clearly. He's also been at the, he's, how long has he been at uh, Grace? Oh, Whatever. God. Longer than either of us have been alive. Yeah, for no doubt. Like that's, that's for real. Um, all right, moving on. Fame. Fame. When I first became a pastor in London, Spurgeon says, my success appalled me. And the thought of the career, which I seemed to open up so far from elating me, cast me into the lowest depth out of which I uttered my misery and found no room for a Gloria in excelsis. That's pretty good. Hmm. Failure. How often have some of us tossed to and fro upon our couch half the night because of conscious shortcomings in our testimony? How frequently have we longed to rush back to the pulpit again to say over again more vehemently, what we have uttered in so cold a manner. Hmm. Weather. Weather, Luke. Weather's number seven. Yeah. He said, living in an unbroken series of summer days where no cold mists are dreamed of, it is no great marvel that rheumatic pains fly away and depression of spirit departs. Mm -hmm. Eight, conviction. I often wonder to this day how it was that my hand was kept from rending my own body in pieces through the awful agony which I felt when I discovered the greatness of my transgression. Hmm. Oh, my goodness. That, whew. Man. Read some Spurgeon, man. Number nine, nervousness. Mm -hmm. To my great sorrow, last night I was unable to preach. I had prepared a sermon upon this text with much hope of its usefulness for I intended it to be a supplement to the morning sermon, which was a doctrinal exposition. Mm -hmm. 
The evening sermon was intended to be practical and to commend the whole subject to the attention of inquiring sinners. I came here feeling quite fit to preach when an overpowering nervousness oppressed me and mm -hmm. I lost all self-control and left, left the pulpit in anguish. So uh, I think maybe 20 years ago, the, the sort of hidden darkness that we don't no one want to talk about was depression i think nowadays it's anxiety mm -hmm. that they're there i'm finding out so many people struggle with and that that kind of anxiety the crippling kind you're right man and in the and i've and i've struggled with depression and anxiety mm -hmm. and that is that is a a team of enemies that is a match made in hell truly because you are depressed and which makes you really not like a it's almost it's not like a it's almost like a in in an apathy and lethargy that is impossible to overcome and then you have your anxiety on top of that saying uh you better get this done <laughs> or else so it's like you can't do this you better get it done and it's like oh it just it's really tough forgive me for laughing at your expense but that was funny it is, it is somewhat funny yeah like i find i find laughter to to be comforting um controversies number 10 i cannot tell you by letter what i have endured in the desertion of my own men mm -hmm. i think he's i think i i, I want to know the context of this but i can only imagine like is he talking about like his friends leaving is he talking about people leaving the church is he talking about um, just people he would correspond with over theological issues and maybe they passed. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, he says criticism. That's the last one. Criticism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Charles Spurgeon is a nine days wonder, a comet that has suddenly shot across the religious atmosphere. He has gone up like a rocket and ear long will come down like a stick. <laughs> that was the Sheffield and Rotherham Independent. Wow. Um, yeah. So I want to I want to speak to something that Palma said. She says, um, often had to speak with parents whose children were exhibiting signs of emotional issues. They didn't want to accept that they might need to get help from a professional, but if their child had a physical condition, they wouldn't hesitate. And I that's such an interesting observation to make that. If you've had to seek help before, even if it wasn't for, for uh, you know, an emotional sort of struggle or disorder, but for something physical, that that actually produces in you the humility and willingness to seek help. And I think if there's anything that, that I'd like to say before our time is up, it's uh, don't fight this stuff alone. Eric, don't do it alone. People in the comment section, don't do it alone. I was just like literally an hour ago, I was... Um, meeting with a, with a young man in my church and he was just sharing with me, you know, something he's been struggling with. And, and I, and it's something that I've, I've struggled with in the past. And I, I said, look, I, I'm not old enough or wise enough to give you much in the way of advice, but I will tell you this, do not fight this battle alone be because maybe you'll win it eventually, but it's going to be so much longer and harder than if you'll just take the risk of sharing it with people. Uh, and I'll say one more thing about that. The, the pains and the sufferings and the struggles of my congregants are oftentimes my greatest burden 
and my greatest joy. It 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 is it's not just to their benefit when they open up to me about the hardest things of their lives. It's actually to mine as well because uh it it, it it's it's good for us not just to share burdens with each other, but to carry one another's burdens too. That's what the New uh, Testament sounds kind of like Paul in Galatia. In Galatia. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, you know, I can't help but think as I'm preparing for um, my church's sermon this Sunday, and we're in John 20, and we're covering the first 10 verses, and it is where they discover where Mary comes back and, and talks to or yells to Peter and to John and says, hey, he said they've taken him. He's not there. They've rolled the stone away and Jesus isn't there. And they're chugging along, man. And I find it curious that like John's like, oh yeah, I, I was so much faster than Peter getting there to the two. Like, I just think that's a cool little tidbit. Um, I don't know why he put it there. That's like one of the top 10 questions I want to ask when we get what, to what eternity. Mean, what do you mean you don't know why he put it there? Do you not have any brothers? <laughs> well, no, I don't. That, yeah, if you if you had any brothers, you would know exactly why he put it there. Yeah. So he's like, oh yeah. So uh, Peter fell behind, man. Like maybe he had a beer gut. I don't if, know. <laughs> if, I, if if I were writing, uh, you know, a testimony of the life of Jesus, and I had the opportunity to share the fact that I had outrun one of my brothers, for sure I would record it. For sure. So, well, the yeah. So, John, so John puts that, that's not the point of what I'm saying, but I just like I just think it's funny. Um, so they get there, and they see the body of Jesus not there, right? And as I was reading, um, and I was reading some commentaries today, and D. A. Carson points this out that grave robbery was actually quite common in those days. So they could have thought, like, did grave robbers get in there somehow, right mm-hmm. now? Um, they see like if grave robbers would have come to the to the tomb of Jesus, they wouldn't have taken his body and they wouldn't have unwrapped him in these fine scents, these very exp- 80 pounds, 75 pounds of these very expensive scents, right? Um, and ointments and all that would that, would, that these little uh, the wraps would have been in, and they wrapped Jesus's body. But there's a sense in which Jesus just essentially in his glorified body, sheds all of these wraps very different than mm-hmm. than what uh La- when he lays raised lazarus do you remember this like lazarus comes out of the tomb and like i just picture a mummy man like he's coming out like he's got all these wraps he's probably thinking like what did you guys do to me <laughs> and the king james like oh he's stinking like how long i wonder how long like i question number two jesus or or lazarus how long did you stink it for um, like after, after you were raised, like did all that stuff, like how quickly did it go away? So, so then Jesus, like he's raised from the dead in the resurrection. And I just go, that's our future. That's hmm. our future because Christ accomplished it. Hmm. So even when we are depressed and anxious and we can't just, we feel like we can't live another day or another hour, no matter where we might have these feelings of inadequacy or, or or just our mind has taken over our fallen nature has taken over that there is hope and there is promise in the resurrection the resurrection of the dead in which we will partake in which we will be raised we'll receive our glorified bodies and we will no longer be bound by sin we're not bound by sin now but we will be unaffected by it and that these things 
this fallen nature that we have until then is only is only passing away it's fading mm. Mm. and something much greater awaits us and we see that picture on resurrection morning let me say one more thing in response to brian and then we should we should try to close you know we're trying to get closer to our that hour limit um although we love the bonus at the bonus time i always enjoy my time with you guys Brian, I, I agree with you that when we see the world for what it really is, that is, in fact, a, a very dark and, uh, and, uh, and a depressing thing to, to view and to understand. But I, I completely disagree with your remark that we have a little glimmer of hope for someday. I'm not denying the reality of the feeling of depression, anxiety, despair, but the sorry, it's been wonderfully depressing. Uh, but, but the but the reality, and it's not just a someday reality; it's a right now reality. Is that in Christ we have life, joy, peace, all the goodness and all the treasures of heaven available right now. Now we're not going to see the consummation of all things. That's what we eagerly anticipate, but I don't think that we are, even if we feel that way sometimes, we shouldn't be afraid to feel that way to, or, or to express feeling that way, but that is actually not the reality. Um, the reality is that death has been conquered, sin has been conquered, the enemy has been conquered, the work of Christ has been accomplished, and what we feel is very real in the sense that it's what we feel but it does not actually reflect the reality. And even what we see in such a dark and fallen and seemingly hopeless world, that's not the reality either. Christ is the reality. And in him, even in the midst of something as crippling as depression, we can have joy. Amen. Luke, I just want you to know, man, this is the last episode we're doing for a few weeks or you're doing for a few weeks. You killed it today. You did a really good job. Oh, you, you've been so complimentary of late. I, I, I don't know if you know this about me, but uh, I, I'm my big love languages, if you're into that kind of thing, are physical touch and words of affirmation. So the only way you could make my day better right now would be if you would hug me. Uh, but that's not possible. So I'll just I'll just take the words of affirmation. They make me I'm feel hugging you. I'm hugging you. Have you ever <laughs> no, heard the song I, Kiss I, Through the Phone? Kisses Through the Phone or something like that? I appreciate I mean, we can hug through the phone. <laughs> Did you just make a Soldier Boy reference? <laughs> no, Soldier no, Boy, tell him. <laughs> I, I appreciate. I appreciate the encouragement. I do. You know, one of the things that um, we're going to get to the catechism here in a moment. But you brought up Soldier Boy, and I'm not. I'm not advocating his music, but um, I'm not even talking about Soldier Boy. But one of the things that I do appreciate about secular music, which I do listen to more than any other type of music. Um, I, I, I really appreciate those songs that point to the condition of man and that tell a story. Mm -hmm. um, and because they remind me of the condition that, uh, that I often find myself in and other people find themselves in when oftentimes when we have the, I, I feel like sometimes Christian music can be like the, just get some more sunshine and you'll be okay. Yay. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, nah, that's just not life that's not the christian life either yeah. so and and i'll say this um the for for all its faults and it has many the secular world has at least one thing 
uh, better understood than it seems the Christian world often does. And that is the um, reality of the difficulty and, and pain of life. Mm-hmm. That, that so often the, especially, you know, the Christian artist, because, because we, we do in fact have all the treasures of heaven in Jesus Christ and, and the joy and the peace uh, and the presence of his Holy Spirit, because we have all those things. Sometimes we make the mistake of, of disregarding the rest of the testimony of scripture, which is full of things like the book of Ecclesiastes and Lamentations and the prophets and the Psalms, where people who of the faith who all who shared all those things that we have were not afraid to tell the truth, mm-hmm. right? It's not it's, don't lie for the sake of of uh, a sunshiny attitude, you know? Well, I think it goes to like it's it's almost a winsome mentality of like, if I just tell people how wonderful my life is and mm-hmm. how wonderful their life could be, then they're going to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a lot of people's evangelistic approach. So it affects like the, a lot of the con- contemporary Christian music. Now, listen, let's sing about the, our future glory, yes. right? Yes. Praise God. Let's sing about the work of Christ. Let's let's sing praises to God. But mm-hmm. I'm, talk, I'm talking. I'm not talking about worship music. I'm talking about the contemporary music that and things can be uplifting. So I'm not saying that like don't listen to things that are sunshiny, right? Like the other day, I was jamming out to Jimmy Buffett. Man, like yeah. it reminds me of my mom, uh, and and it just brings a little brings a little joy into my heart, man. Like who doesn't like cheeseburger in paradise? Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, no, it, it, it's the simple reality. It's this. It's simply this. The joy that comes through Christ is the pro- is always the product of truth. And sometimes that truth, if you actually want to tell the truth, is going to be ugly. Mm. Yep. But, no, you know what? I'm not going to say but because this is what the Christian artists do is they write these songs that have all this ugliness and then at the end they make it really cheery. I'm not going to do that. Sometimes the truth's really ugly, folks, and God can handle it. I'll be the I'll be your hopeful. <laughs> Even in the midst of the ugliness, we are promised a future, new heavens and new earth, in which there will be nothing but beauty. Uh, the beauty of God and his creation and his people worshiping him for all of eternity. And we have been rescued by nothing but the blood of Jesus. Yeah. And without him, we have no hope from our despair. And if that's not mind blowing enough on the other side of that glory, you will look back upon the ugliness and that will only appear as beauty too, because you'll see it through the lens of the glory God has accomplished. Dude, I like, what you just said made me think of this one thing, right? So I remember being, I don't know, man, like I might've been 13, 14 years old. And I just remember having to do homework, man. Like I don't even No, no, no. I was probably younger than that. Cause my mom was making me do my times tables. Right. So I'm having to write these times tables out. Like, I don't know, a hundred times uh, for each one. So like I'm, I'm having to do the nine tables, a hundred times, the eight tables, all that stuff. And I hated math. 
So I'm having to do this. And I'm thinking, like, I'm crying in my room. <laughs> like, my mom's making me do all this work. This is awful. Right? Like, that's, that's what an irrational kid does. So I'm, like, I'm, like, in tears in all of this anguish and pain, thinking that life was, <laughs> like, I'm thinking, like, life is, is so, so painful. Life is so unfair. Uh, right? Like, that's my state in that moment. <laughs> like i looked back on it and like my pain was real in that moment like i really like was so caught up in myself i was so caught up in like how awful i wasn't thinking that my mom was awful i was thinking like this task was awful mm-hmm. and i thought like man what if i could just restart my life and do things differently and i remember thinking like but then i'd probably have to do my time <laughs> all over again so let's just get this done so i won't ever have to do my time tables again so, so i say all that that terrible story to say that in glory in glory we will look back on that look back on the actual trials and anguish of life and go it was kind of like little eric being forced to do his times tables it it pales in eternity, man. Like it's, it's even the worst things in our life today are nothing compared to the glory of God in eternity. Mm. So as you know, what does Paul say? Our present afflictions, which are things like depression, uh, anxiety, death, loss of job, uh, loss of loved ones, like all that garbage. What does Paul call them? Light and momentary boom boom you just got pulled <laughs> <laughs> you know so so I am if, if, I, if i was bringing the heat today in terms of content i think you were funnier today than you've ever been that I story at the end i i just uh, that uh, that was one of the funniest things i've ever heard <laughs> really it wasn't that <laughs> thanks i'm glad that i could bring joy to, to you in the midst of my like little 10 year old pain um i really thought in that moment at 10 years however old i was when my mommy was making me do my timesy tables that i i just could die in those moments like i could have just died and would have been happy yeah so so palma was a, a math teacher so if you, uh, oh, palma, no. <laughs> all right should, should we try to, do to inflict pain on little children um, by making them memorize their times tables glenn raising what i think is a fascinating question but we don't have time for it today so we need to hit the catechism what's the question but we will have will we have a recollection of that Ooh, that is a conversation i wow mm-hmm. that, that's paul that, or glenn that's good man that's mm-hmm. good all right so catechesis man Let's catechize. Let's catechize. Let's catechize these folks. Luke? Yes. Stop looking at the bottom of the screen. <laughs> what was, God... that, was it that obvious? Yes. When I see your eyes go dark to the bottom <laughs> of the screen. This is for the benefit of, of our viewers. Our, of our okay. All right. Okay. All right. What did God? Are you looking at the bottom no, of the screen? No, no, no. See my hand? I'm covering it. I'm covering it with my hand right now. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Okay, fine. Fine. Okay. What did God place 
in the middle of Eden. You're looking again. What did God place in the middle of Eden, Luke? Uh, I I think it was two trees. One one was the tree of life, and the other was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why did you wait until that scrolled across the screen to give give the answer? No, I think I swear. <laughs> this is the only time in the three months that we've been doing this that you've gotten the answer correct. I actually knew that. I actually did know wow. that. Yeah. Wow. So, it, uh, so, so believe it or not, I, I have been catechized, you know, so I, I should know the answers to these things. And I did know this one. Well, no doubt. I have no doubt that you actually do. You just, you, you just like to play dumb on the show. Like, I know you're actually a very intelligent man, um, far smarter than I am, although you won't admit it. Well, you don't, you, you don't ever play dumb. So I have to take that part on. <laughs> one of us has to do it. No, because when I look dumb, it, um, because I'm talking about things that I'm dumb about. But, so, no, but, let, but let's talk about this, uh, this point of the catechism. Cause I, cause I love this. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. So the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. I wrote this down in my art. So here's Genesis two, nine and out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I had that in my notes, uh, one tree that sustained life in one, there would be the source of man's curse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's so interesting that we were just talking about the, the hope of the resurrection and the consummation, uh, because in Revelation chapter 22, we see a very similar garden where it says, uh, on each side of the river stood the tree of life. So in Eden... You've got two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which if you partake in it leads to death, and the tree of life, which of course offers life. In the garden someday to come, there will be two trees or perhaps one tree sprouting out of both sides, and it will only be the tree of life. That's a splendid thought. Mm-hmm. It's good, right? Luke? I'm glad that we have sent you off with such a good show today. I'm happy to be here. I, I so enjoy doing this with you, Eric. I enjoy talking with all of y'all in the comment section. I will miss you, but Eric's got some really great stuff lined up. And yeah, you have to listen. If you are watching right now, tell your friends, um, tell everybody that, you know, that uh, is either a conditionalist meaning they believe in conditional immortality or on the fence or have no idea what it means. Um, Really just tell everybody to watch the show next Tuesday at two o'clock. We have the uh, maybe our best or most well-known guest coming on the show, Chris date, who is a Christian apologist uh, theologian kind of emerging theologian. And um, his keen interest is conditional immortality. Um, and in my humble opinion, um, when it comes to rigorous academic debate, he is as good as anyone I've ever heard. Yes. Yes. He's, he's phenomenal. Uh, in fact, one of the things that brought me into conditional immortality um, and into the Advent Christian Church, which he's not even Advent Christian. Well, um, we're working on that. Yeah. Um, so he... So he debated over the radio, Al Mohler, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And, um, and a, a fine theologian and teacher and defender of the gospel in his own right. 
I'm a huge fan. Mm-hmm. I'm one of the most uh, influential evangelicals today. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chris wiped the floor with him in that debate. Like yeah. it, it, it was embarrassing. And at that moment I was a Southern Baptist and I thought, Oh, Dr. Al, what are you doing? Man? <laughs> like, what are you doing? And, uh, and, Al, and Al continues to be a, a, a great and helpful voice on so many uh, theological matters. But when it comes to traditionalism versus conditionalism, you know, they, if that's their best, there's no there's no argument. <laughs> it's kind of like you walk away and go. Uh, so I guess I'm a conditionalist now. Like, and, and of course, I'm sure traditionalists heard that debate and felt completely differently than we did. I don't think so because Al, I mean, Dr. Mueller did not engage with Chris in any meaningful way regarding the text of scripture. So he was using, um, and I, and I, and I believe in debate, like of these kinds, it's good to have like philosophical arguments and, and whatnot. Those are helpful, but it's also important to have biblical arguments. Right, so you no, can no, have... it's not it's not also important. It's the most important yeah, point right. in yeah. debate. Oh, yeah, totally. You're right. You're right. So <laughs> to see to see him just come from things from a philosophical lens, um, I thought he. I don't know if he was prepared enough. Like I don't know if you know because if you so to give Dr. Moeller the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. he may have just been like who's this Chris? You want me to talk to this wacko? Like he's well, a kid in Southern Baptist circles. Conditionalism is heresy. It's heretical. It, and yeah. it stems from emotionalism, not from biblical exegesis. Well, so I, I, he didn't anticipate like having someone quote the original languages and, mm-hmm. and like large passages of scripture and have them cogently fit together and present something and articulate a good argument for conditional immortality. Uh, Brian, I will be, the next time you see me, it will be August. I'm not going to be out of town for that long, but the week that I get back, you know, if I were to try to do a show, it would have, it would have been like the day or the day after. A very so when's, the, when's the day you're coming back? The 31st, I think it's that Friday. Yeah. Okay. So you can have the show that following week. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll be, we'll be back, back in August, but Eric's got some good things for you guys. Uh, we have once again, gone way over. It was a great time, but we should bring this thing to a close. Next Tuesday, 2 o'clock, Chris Date. Be there or I don't know. Just be there. Just be there. Just or, do it. Or, or you hate America. Why do why we always get to bring the your, your imperialist, nationalist twist into this thing, man? Okay. I'm sorry. Be there. Or or miss or miss or you're not really a conditionalist, I guess. <laughs> be there. And definitely or, not Evan Christian. Apparently, look, we we've had some phenomenal guests. Be there next week, or you will miss the best get guest we have had yet. I don't know, man. Mike Alex was a pretty good guest. <laughs> Mike Alex was an excellent guest. Yeah, yeah. But so was so was Paul Cox. Hey, look, if it's just about personal opinion, I think John Roller is we could have him on every week. But I'm just saying objectively, Chris Chris Tate takes the cake. You got it. You don't want to miss it. Yeah. I like cake. You you really don't know how to how to stop, do you? You should hear me when I try to get off the phone. I have tried so many times to end the show and we're still going. It's Don't explain it. Okay. End the show. Ha <laughs> ha!